0: As many of you know, we are preparing as a church to take a trip to Porto Seguro, Brazil. And the time has come for people that are going to commit to that to commit. And some of you in this room are already committing to that trip. But as we're thinking about this week, as I was thinking about all that that the trip entails and all that, that God is going to do as we go, I reflected back on a trip I took about five years ago to a place called Belo Horizonte, Brazil. Actually, to a little suburb of that called Navacontagim. And what you may not know is, as your pastor, throughout my life, I've been called upon to do things that they don't necessarily teach you about in seminary. First church that I pastored, I got there, and there had been a cookbook in the works for about three years. And nothing had been done on it in about six months. And I went in one day, I said, I'm a pastor, I can do a cookbook. So we did a cookbook. Well, this particular trip, we got on the trip and my main goal or my main reason for going was that I was going to be the speaker at night, the person that uh, spoke to our team and to the interpreters that were there. And I was going to give a message each night in worship to encourage them. But when we got there, we realized I needed to do something else as well. And for some reason, I got put on the medical team. So my job all week was to do medical triage. Now, that sounds much more important than it is, because actually all I did was to ask them how old they were and what was hurting. That's all I did. Well, one of the things that I discovered in Brazil that I had never encountered before is that almost everybody that came to the clinic that week had parasites. They had some form of a parasite in their body. In fact, one of the uh, people that went on the trip with us was a veterinarian and she just happened to have brought some deworming medicine. And most of the people that walked into our clinic that week got deworming medicine. I started to think this week about the word parasite, and I don't know whether you know this or not, but parasites are a major problem with humanity. And I thought this morning, just to begin, I would inform you about some of the most common parasites. Parasites. Now, this would not be nearly as effective if we didn't have visual help. All right? So first of all, I want to show you a particular parasite called the pinworm. Now, this is not the worst parasite. Only 500 million people have this parasite. But the next one is the roundworm. Now, if we were a normal population of the world, one out of every four of you in this room would have this in your body. Isn't that exciting right there? Well, if you don't like the roundworms, there's also, and I had to write this one down, because I have to make sure I get it right, it's the schistosoma. This one likes to go into your blood vessels and burrow in. And then my personal favorite, the tapeworm. I want you to think about this for a minute. Tapeworms can grow to be 20 feet long inside your intestine. That's exciting, isn't it? I didn't hear any amens on that. Here's the thing. I know we're having a fellowship meal afterwards. I thought I'd get your appetites going before that happened. As Americans, we don't have to worry about this stuff, Okay. Because we've got pretty good hygiene, right? Now, some of you, when you were a child, may have had some kind of worm. I remember somebody I was in school with when I was in elementary school had a, had a tapeworm, and that was a big ordeal. And Occasionally, these kind of things will crop up. It's not like it is worldwide. And so you may say, well, Pastor, why in the world are you showing us pictures of worms? Here's the reason. Because when someone becomes infected with a parasite, Without their knowledge, it begins to sap them of the strength and energy they need to live. And while as Americans and while people living in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, we may not have any problems necessarily with these physical parasites, the truth is, if we're not careful, we will all have parasites in our lives that will rob us of the very strength we need to live. In fact, I would dare to say that many of you in this room right now have a parasite in your life. A moral failing. A temptation that you always seem to give in to. A thought that you can't get out of your mind. An action that you can't stop doing. That there is some sort of parasite that is latched onto you or your marriage or your relationships and is sucking the life right out. The truth is that anything that we let into our lives that is not of God has the real potential to be a parasite. And so this morning, the question that I want to ask is, well, how do you overcome that? Now, the biblical word we're going to use, the more literal term we're going to use is Temptation. How do you overcome temptation in your life? How do you get past those sins that you always seem to give into? I would dare say that most of us in this room, if we were brutally honest with ourselves, if we were brutally honest with each other, there would be something, a thought, an idea, a problem, a word, something in our lives that we just seem to give into all the time. What I want you to do over the next few minutes as we think about this, as we talk about this, is to imagine in your life what that parasite is. Some of you are married. Maybe it's a thought life that is not pleasing to God. Maybe it involves uh, the way that you speak to your spouse. Perhaps it involves something outside of the marriage. Maybe it's something to do with the Internet. Maybe it's something to do with the relationship that's not something that ought to be taking place in your life, what is your parasite? Maybe it's the, the need for money, and so you work all the time to the neglect of your family. Maybe it's that you involve yourselves in so many things that at the end of the day, you no longer have the strength to put the energy you need into. If you're here this morning and you're not married, perhaps you're a teenager, perhaps you're uh, a single person, Maybe in your life it it doesn't necessarily directly have to do with the relationship, but there is some parasite in your life that is constantly draining the life out of you. And I want you to think very specifically about what that is. And we're going to talk today about how to stop it. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. One of the things that I come across as a pastor often is talking to people that are having some difficulty with a particular sin or a particular thought, a particular idea. And we'll talk about some ways to maybe try to to overcome that. And we're going to talk today about that. What I find often is that people have been trying to get over this particular addiction or problem the same way for years. It was Albert Einstein that once said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So today we're going to talk about how do you overcome whatever it is in your life that has been draining you, that has been plaguing you. And let me tell you right from the beginning what my overall theme is for today. The number one thing I want you to remember today is this, is you can't do it on your own. All right? You cannot do it on your own. I want you to say that with me. I want you to say, I cannot do it on my own. Say that. I cannot do it on my own. Now say it this time, not like you're reciting something back to the teacher. All right? I want you to say it with conviction and meaning, because part of the problem is we all think we're stronger than we are. Amen? How many times have you said to yourself, I'll never do that again? Oh, Lord, I promise you, that I will never do again. To your spouse, I will never do that again. And you find yourself in a situation, you say, I'm strong enough to handle it, and guess what? You're not. So this is what I want you to say with me again. I cannot do it on my own. Say it. I cannot do it on my own. Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Verse 1 is one of those verses in the Scripture that just perplexes me. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, who led Jesus to the desert? Who led Jesus to the desert? Spirit. God's Spirit led Him to the desert. Why? To be tempted. Now, this is just crazy because we come a little bit later to the Lord's Prayer, right? And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, it says, And lead us not into temptation. Well, here's a little note for you. First of all, that's wise for us to pray because we're not Jesus. Amen? And this was God's testing. Now, what I love about this is he had no doubt Jesus was going to pass. This wasn't for God to see if Jesus was going to pass. It was for Satan to know who he was dealing with. Okay? You got that? That Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is one of those statements that just kind of follows He was hungry. All right? How many of you have ever fasted 40 days, 40 nights? Okay, good. How many of you have ever fasted a meal? Let me see that. Okay, good. There we go. I know some of you in here haven't missed a meal. I can tell that. I'm not going to point any names out. Anybody here ever been hungry? Yeah, let me see. You may be hungry. Stomach growls. Problem. You go a little longer than normal without eating. Okay, Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus says, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Let me tell you that what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus himself couldn't do it on his own. And we'll talk about how we know that in just a minute. But if Jesus couldn't do it on his own, then you and I can't do it on our own. And there are a couple of things that we must understand if we're going to overcome temptation in our lives. And the first is this. We must understand the enemy's schemes. We must understand our enemy's schemes. Now what we see in this... Passage of Scripture is the subtle, sinister whisper of Satan. He comes to Jesus at three points that Jesus very well knew he could take advantage of. Jesus knew he could do what Satan said in his power. He had that ability, but he knew it wasn't right. And what we're going to see from this passage is the three ways that Satan will come to you in your life and tempt you. What all temptations basically boil down to are these three whispers. And the first is this. If God really loved you, He wouldn't hold out on you. These aren't going to be on the screen, so you can just write them in somewhere. If God really loved you, He wouldn't hold out on you. Know what he says to him there about the bread? Look, Jesus, it's been forty days. You're done with your fast. I mean, you've done everything God's expected. If he really cared about you, he would know how hungry you are, and he would let you turn these stones into bread. Have something to eat for goodness sake. Remember back in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve are sitting there and God comes to him and he says, Did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? I mean, if God loved you, He'd let you have any tree in this place. He wouldn't limit you. He didn't care about you. He's just trying to be up there and say, look, I can control you. He doesn't care. He's saying if God really loves you, He'll let you have whatever you want. He wouldn't hold out on you. Now, when we take that in the Scripture, we say, of course we can see that. That wasn't what Jesus was supposed to do. That's not what Adam and Eve are supposed to do. But in our lives, it comes in a little more sinister way. You know, if God really loved you, He would want you to have that car you've been looking at. And you know what? I know that you're going to have to go in debt to get that, but you'll pay it off. It'll be okay. I know it's going to stretch your finances, and you might not be able to give as much to the church or to other places you want to, but... If God loved you, He'd want you to have that. Some of you in this room are single. You've never married. You've been divorced. Or you have lost your spouse. And in the midst of that, some of you have been walking through this series with me and it's been very difficult for you. And Satan is even whispering in your life, you know, if God really loved you, He wouldn't have taken your spouse away. If God really loved you, He wouldn't allow that divorce to go through. If God really loved you, you know what? He wouldn't hold out and not let you find that person that's right for you. Some of you in this room are married and you're not in a very happy marriage. And over and over again in your mind, you hear Satan whispering, "If God really loved you, he wouldn't want you to stay in a marriage where you weren't happy." Some of you in this room have come across financial difficulties. And that whisper is, if God really loved you, He'd want you to have all that you can have. You see how subtle it can be, how dangerous it would be? Because immediately we begin to think, you know, God does love me. He loves me more than anything. He wouldn't want me to be miserable. He wouldn't want me to be sad. He wouldn't want me to be upset. And if I can just do this, it'll make me happy. It'll make me content. It'll give me what I need. And that way I'll be happy, and that's what God wants for me. For some people, their life is lived like either the old game show, Let's Make a Deal, or the new one, Deal or No Deal, Right? You ever, any of you watch Deal or No Deal? You ever watch that, all right? You ever yell at the person for keeping going? You ever do that? They'll look up on that board, and the left side is full of things that are still available. They got two of the big amounts. They got a good offer from the bank. And they go, I'm just going to keep on going. And I just want to go, quit! Sometimes I say that out loud, but usually when I'm just by myself. Some of you are like that in your life. God's blessed you. He's given you, as Clay talked about, we forget what we have. Clay was talking about the ability to come to church, but in our lives in general, we forget how fortunate we are. You know, even this week, look at those disgusting pictures of the worms. When I read that one out of every four people on this planet, if you look at the numbers, it's actually closer to one out of every two people on the planet have some sort of parasite. I am thankful that I live in a country where very few of us do. And yet we are blessed in so many ways, but we keep saying, but I need just a little bit more. I'm going a little farther. How many of you remember Let's Make a Deal? Remember that? They'd have a beautiful prize over here, and he would say, I'm glad you've got that prize, but if you'd like to, you can trade that prize in for what's in door number one, two, or three. Sometimes they'd trade it in, there'd be a better prize in there, but oftentimes they'd trade it in, they'd open it up, and there'd be a donkey sitting there. You remember that? Let me just be real honest with you. When Satan whispers, I know you've got a lot, but if God loved you, he wouldn't hold out on you, there's a donkey behind the curtain. We've got to understand the enemy's schemes. The second scheme of the Satan is not only if you love God or God loved you, he wouldn't hold out on you. The second one he'll tell you is, don't trust God, test him. And then when he says to Jesus, listen, it says he goes up to the pinnacle of the temple. Now, you have to realize in Jerusalem, the temple didn't have a pinnacle, Okay. They didn't have a spire, so Jesus and Satan aren't standing up on something like our spire. They had a corner, and there was a famous corner at the temple. There were people had literally fallen off all the time, and if you fell from that place, you didn't make it. And what he says to Jesus is, listen, God's not going to let you stumble. He's not going to let you fall. He's going to protect you with everything you are. And just to make sure that you know that, won't you test him right now? Just jump. Satan says to Jesus, don't trust him. Test Him. In your own life, there will be something that will come along and you'll say to yourself, you know, I don't know whether that's good or not, and say, no, whisper into your mind, God loves you. He's going to take care of you. If you don't believe it, just test Him. Well, Jesus comes back with Scripture and He cuts that off and then Satan gives Him the last the last one. And it's that not only... if. God loves you. He wouldn't hold out on you. Not only are you not supposed to trust Him, you're supposed to test Him. But the last thing Satan whispers into our lives is, just take the shortcut. Just take the shortcut. The problem with Satan's shortcuts is they're never shortcuts. Have you ever been driving and all of a sudden you take a turn you say, I'm going to take the shortcut here. It ends up taking you twice as long to get there. You ever done that? Any of your spouses ever done that? Amen? You there? Shortcuts aren't always shortcuts. You know, I have a GPS system in my car, and sometimes I know the fastest way to get there, and she thinks she does. And she and I argue about it. I'm talking about the lady in the GPS. She does. Her favorite word for me is recalculating, right? And Satan says, listen, God's got this great plan for you, but you know what? God's waiting way too long to bring that about. Won't you take a shortcut? Look what he promises. He promises the kingdoms of the world. What has God promise Jesus? That he would be ruler of all nations, right? He offered him the exact same thing. But here was God's plan. Jesus, you've got to go to earth, live a perfect life, die death on a cross, raise again from the grave, Come back to the right hand of the Father and then wait until the end of time to take full authority over this kingdom. Satan says, all you got to do is just bow to me right now. Now the truth is, it wasn't Satan's to give. Now God had allowed him to rule over the earth, but it is very clear, remember last week we talked about, that everything in the earth is the Lord's. He rules it all. But he wants to say, just take a shortcut. This is the biggest lie that Satan tells teenagers, those that aren't married yet. You know, I know God's got a great plan for you when you get to marriage, when you get there and the intimacy that will be there when you find the person that God has set aside for you. But why do you have to wait till then? Just take a shortcut. This is what he tells to men and women that are trying to live their life for the Lord and things just keep getting in the way of doing what they think they're supposed to do. He says, just Take the shortcut. If we're going to overcome temptation, the first thing we have to do is understand our enemy's schemes. The second thing we have to do is we just must resist. When I was at Union, I had a world history professor named Dr. Stephen Carl's. And Dr. Carls used to start every test the same way. He would hand out the exams, he would pass them out, and he would, he would tell you, don't pick up your pencils till I tell you. Everybody starts at the same time. He would get ready to start the test. He would say, before we start, let me tell you this. At some point in this test, you are going to come across a question that you are not sure if you know the answer. And when you come across that point in the test and you're not sure if you know the answer, what's going to happen next is you're going to be tempted to look at your neighbor's paper on the left or the right or in front or in back and see if they know the answer to that particular question. He said, let me give you one word of advice. If you feel that you suddenly need to look at somebody else's paper, that piece of advice is resist. That's it. When it comes to overcoming temptation, the simplest way to say it is, We must simply resist. Just don't do it. Three times Satan came to Jesus in this particular account. It gives him three significant temptations. And each time Jesus simply says no. Now let me remind you of something. You cannot do it on your own. Say it with me. I cannot do it on my own. You just can't. And so how do we overcome temptation? The first thing is you need help, and you need to pray that God will help you. Remember the Lord's Prayer I mentioned earlier? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You need to pray that God will help you. The second thing is, and this seems real reasonable, you just need to avoid situations that will lead you to sin. You need to avoid situations that will cause you to be tempted. Now, there are some things in our lives. One of, those, one of the worms that we showed you earlier is a worm that's called a fluke worm, okay? What that means is that it just is a fluke that it happens. And there are some temptations that are just kind of a fluke. You don't mean for it to happen. You're walking somewhere. All of a sudden, you see it. And it's just a fluke. The temptation is there. But most of the time, we know the situations that are going to lead to temptation, So you just avoid it. You make a commitment to prepare and say, listen, Lord, I'm going to trust you completely. I'm going to follow you completely. I'm going to study your word. I know you know this, but what book of the Bible, many of you know this, does Jesus quote all three times? Anybody know? Deuteronomy, right? Let me just tell you, Jesus had to study that. I know that sometimes people think Jesus came pre-programmed with all the knowledge in his head. But when he came to earth, it tells us in Luke that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He had to learn the scriptures. He had to study the scriptures. And if he knew what was in Deuteronomy, he knew what was in the other parts of the Bible. You've got to be willing to prepare yourself. Now here's the last, uh, one of the last ones. Is when you get in the situation where the temptation happens, just pause. Paul's. Most of you haven't known, have not known this, but the whole time I've been preaching today, there's been a temptation laying on the stage. And I've been walking past it again and again. I see it out of the corner of my eye. There have been moments when I have thought about what it would taste like. There have been moments when I have looked at it without you knowing, because There are a lot of things going through the pastor's mind while he's preaching, all right? And I thought, man, that would taste really good right now. But the truth is, up until this moment, I haven't given in to that temptation. Now, first of all, eating it is not a sin, okay? Now, maybe eating it in front of you when you don't have any might be a sin, but you deal with that on your own, all right? But as I walk past it time and time again, I haven't given in yet, and the truth is, I've paused and haven't given in. But you know, the reality is, if I were to pick it up, and this piece of chocolate cake that is sitting here, now some of you, there is some of this downstairs for after service today. Once I bring it here, the chance that I'm going to eat it rises a little bit, right? Right? Because right now, there are certain things that have come into play that weren't in play a minute ago. I can now smell the chocolate on the cake. Especially if I do that. I now have a fork that because it's been laying next to it, there is a little bit of chocolate on the end. And that would just be messy to leave that there, wouldn't it? And now as I bring it closer, not only can I think about eating it, I can smell it. My taste buds can almost taste what it would be like. Now if I take the fork and I put it down into the cake, the chances rise a little bit, right? And if I pick up the cake and I bring it towards my mouth, the chances rise. And if I open my mouth and put it inside, well, that's good. Sin is sweet for a moment, right? Let me ask you a question. If eating this cake were a sin, which it's not, even for a diabetic, okay? How many points along the way could I have stopped myself from sinning? There were lots, right? You know, when I talk to people that engage in particular behaviors, sometimes they say, I just couldn't stop myself. When I begin to ask them the details of what led up to that, you know what we find? You could have stopped yourself you can't do it on your own, but you could have stopped. Scripture tells us that no temptation has overcome us which is not common to man, and nothing is stronger than we can bear, but God will provide a way out in the end. And the last thing I want to tell you today is when you get in the midst of that situation, the first thing is to avoid it. The first thing is to flee from it. But when you're there and the cake is right in front of your face and you can smell it coming into your nose and you can taste it on your taste buds and you're thinking, how am I going to stop? Look for a way out that God will provide. So what's the parasite in your life? What's the cake in your life? What is it that when it's around, you, you just keep giving in? You continually give in, and it's causing problems in your life, in your marriage, and your relationships, or whatever it is that it is sucking the life out of who you are and the way that you're living, and you cannot at this moment live your life passionately devoted to Christ because you have a parasite that is sucking that passion for the Lord away. What is it? What is that sin that every time it crops up, you just give in? Some of the church fathers called it a familiar sin. What is it that attitude, that action, that thought that just captivates your life and leads you away from the Lord. The dare for you this week is to identify that parasite and then begin to do practical things to get it out of your life. The movie Fireproof we're going to watch in a few weeks on a Sunday night, and in that movie, the firefighter that's the main character, has a problem with pornography on the Internet. And it's just one of those parasites that he can't get out of his life. And as he's turning his life over to the Lord more and more and more, he comes to a place when the temptation rises again. And he moves away from the computer and he thinks about it for just a minute. And then what he does is he takes the computer, yanks it out of the wall, takes it outside, takes one of his firefighter hatchets and just cuts the thing to pieces. Some of you remember that? And the point of that is that as long as it's sitting in the place it's always been sitting, it's going to be too powerful for him to overcome. And that the Lord has now given him the strength to overcome, but it meant taking some drastic steps. Now, I'm not telling any of you to go home today and cut up your computer. Unless you need to. But I'm asking you, what is that drastic step in your life you need to do to get rid of that parasite? And then I'm daring you this week to get rid of it. In just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation and this altar is going to be open and I know that on a day like this when I've talked about what I've talked about that some of you are saying there's no way I'm going down front because people will think bad things about me. Let me just tell you real quickly. If the Lord is leading your heart to come then that sinister whisper of Satan is telling you to stay. And some of you this morning need to fall on your face right here and say Lord I have been trying too long to do it on my own. I cannot do it. On my own. And this morning you need to come and turn it over to the Lord. I'm going to be down front. I'll be available afterwards. If you say, Pastor, there is this this thing in my life, this parasite in my life, and I can't get rid of it. And maybe I need some help figuring out the drastic step to take. I'll be more than glad to talk with you about that. Now, you know I'm not your priest. I'm not taking your concerns before the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. But if the Lord lays it on your heart to come talk to me, I'll be glad to walk through some things. My dare for you this week, whether you're husband or wife, single, young person or older, that you would identify the parasite and you would get rid of it. I mean, can you imagine a church that was parasite-free? Theo Moody is the one that once said that he has yet to see what God can do through a man who is completely devoted to Him. Let me just tell you, it would blow us away to see what God could do with a parasite-free church. And my prayer is that's what we're going to become.